talked about the primary ways of speaking because of, and so that statements, as well as helping students to understand the consequence of those both good and bad consequences of their actions. Listen to me for a moment. I'm going to read you something that comes from a book um, by, I think David even, someone said David mentioned this author and the other one of the other ones. Uh, Smith is his last name. I can't think of his J.K.A. Smith, I think is how it is. Is that right, Stephen? Yeah, James K. Smith. So he, he writes a lot on like uh, images and things of this nature. But this is a book he wrote called um, Demonstrating the Kingdom. But I want you to imagine you're a Martian, right, or an alien. I mean, y'all did hear, right, that the government says they're real now? Um, so so we're gonna, we can imagine this now. Um, and so read this. See if you can figure out what I'm talking about. But you have to do it as if you've never been to Earth before. Okay? As we still all, as will, as we're still off, I gotta put my glasses on, can't read, Whew, getting old. As we're still off at a distance, I want you to notice the sheer popularity of the site, as indicated by the colorful sea of parking that surrounds this building. The site is throbbing with pilgrims every day, of which <clears throat> thousands and thousands make this pilgrimage. In order to provide a hospitable environment and absorb the daily influx of the faithful, this site provides an ocean of parking. But the modernity of black tarmac is covered with dots of colorful cars and SUVs lined up, row by row, patiently waiting as the pilgrims devote themselves to the rituals inside. Indeed, the parking lot constitutes a kind of moat around the building since there is no sidewalks that lead directly to it. Religious sites of this kind almost inevitably emerge on the suburban edges of the cities. Areas planned around the automobile are generally suspicious of pedestrians. Um, the sacred building even provides a sanctuary for those who, uh, for, excuse me, a sanctuary from this incessant culture of automobility. And as some pilgrims make their way to the sanctuary, especially in winter, just for the space to simply walk. We've now made our way through the sea of glistening black and color and found haven in a vehicle. Um, as it's still quite a distance from the sanctuary. But it's a vehicle that will transport, transport me, almost train-like, to the, from the parking lot to the great tapestries of the entranceway to this grand cathedral. A dazzling array of glass and concrete with recognizable ornamentations. Indeed, because of this particular religious site's uh, goal and network of other things. The architecture of this building has been recognizable code that makes us feel as if we're at home. The large glass atriums as the entranceway is framed by banners and flags. Familiar texts and symbols on the exterior walls help the foreign faithful to quickly and easily identify what's inside. The sprawling layout of the buildings is anchored by large pavilions and sanctuaries akin to the vestibules of the old medieval cathedrals. The design of the interior is inviting almost to an excessive degree, sucking us into the interior spaces that are within. The windows of the ceilings are open. The skyline is beautiful that conveys a sense of vertical and transcendent openness that at the same time shuts us off from the clamor and distractions of the horizontal and the mundane world around us. This architecture mode encloses and enfolds and offers a feeling of sanctuary, retreat, and escape. With few windows and curious um, manipulations of light, it's almost as if the sun stands still in this place. We lose consciousness of time passing and so lose ourselves in the rituals that occur inside this space. What am I speaking about? Amal, do you realize that God in his infinite wisdom and in his infinite design, he actually created things to be appealing to our eyes? Scott, you mentioned when you walked in, right? The beautiful ceiling in this room, right? 
Now, I was not part of the design of this, but I spoke to some who were. What would be a reason why they would design a building this way? Where is your attention drawn? Up. As if what? A transcendent being is one who we are here to, do you notice how to, one particular piece of furniture is pushed almost to the center of the room. What is it? The pulpit. What's the pulpit a symbol of in most churches? The Word of God. Even the architecture of this room draws you into things that we believe and that are essential to us. And in the same way, right, we need to understand that your home has a language and a liturgy that matters. A language and a liturgy that matters. Liturgy is one of those words that, unless you're a part of um, very liturgical churches, the very uh, word liturgy is in there. But everybody has a liturgy. Here's what a liturgy is. Here's the definition of liturgy. Liturgy is habit-forming rituals and rhythms that form an understanding of what is of ultimate importance. Let me say that again. Habit-forming rituals and rhythms that form an understanding of what is of ultimate importance. And this is not just something created by man. Do you realize God in his wisdom throughout the Old Testament teaches us the same thing? Think now for a moment with me of Exodus 20 and 20, 20 through 32 and that description of the tabernacle and the temple. How was it designed? Think about it for a moment. Think about the Old Testament temple. Or tabernacle. What do, do you see? Well, very little at first because there was a massive wall that says, what? Stay out. But the first thing you do is you walk into and you see what? A basin that was meant for the washing of the priest's hands and the animals and an altar. Those are the first two things you see when you come in. Again, helping us to understand visually what God was intending in this temple. And you walk in up some stairs and into uh, the inner court, right? And you see the bread of presence and the, the lampstand. And then you see another massive veil separating the inner court from the inner of courts, the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant of God stood. And not only that, but on the very curtain itself, there was what? Cherubim. What are those? Chubby angels. <laughs> yeah. They're they're angels, right? And if you think one of the first times we actually hear these, these are the ones who had the sword drawn that guarded the way to the garden, saying what? Stay out. Stay away. Dangerous for you to be in the presence of this God in your sinful state. Now, all of this was described without actually ever saying what? A word. Sometimes as Christians, we can become very word-centered, and this we should be. Like, like Mr. Bruce said, it's the plumb line for what we do. It's the standard for all things. But we as Christians, we have to think that our children are not just being formed by the words I speak, but by the language that we'll talk about in just a second, but also by the rhythms and routines and rituals of your home. They're actually telling them sometimes just as much as your words. Now, if you were here when um, Bruce and, and Kathy were sharing just a little bit, we looked a little bit at the text that I want to focus on. But if you would flip with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is what you see on the screen here, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, just to give you some context of what's going on here, 
Um, Deuteronomy was written by Moses. It was the last uh, book that he wrote for the people of Israel. He had walked them now through the book of Numbers, where they had been wandering in the wilderness, and because of even Moses' obedience, he was not allowed to enter the promised land. And so here he is given kind of like the, the second giving of the law, preparing the new generation to enter the land. And this is what he says to them. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded you to to teach you that you may do them in the land you are going over to, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that, you, that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. And if you're familiar, this is what, what many people would call the Shema. Right? This is a prayer that the people of Israel would repeat every morning and every evening. And here it is. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words I command you today shall be on your heart. And again, this is something Bruce mentioned a little bit. But I want you to pay attention to eight, seven, eight, and 9. Is where I want to focus our attention. You shall teach them. Does anyone know the word that they use for teach in NIV there? Impress. It's this idea of pressing them into your child. You shall teach them to your child diligently, right? You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Where else? When you walk by the way. When you lie down. And when you rise. A.K.A. talking is important. All day long. Language of the home is important. But then look at 8 and 9. This is really interesting when you think about this. He commands them, he says to them, you shall bind them on the, uh, as a sign on your hand. This shall be on the frontlets of your eyes. You shall also write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What is all that referring to? I mean, I don't see any of you with things inscribed on the front of your eyelids. Are you not really care about your children? <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. I appreciate the one laughter. That's normal for me, though, by the way. In church, I get one guy's laugh, and it's usually because it's so bad. So what is he saying in this idea of you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and you shall be on the frontlets of your eyes. They shall be what? Ever before you. That, brothers and sisters, we do not just merely train our children with our speaking. That the aesthetics of the home matter. The rhythms, the routines, the things that we regularly do, they matter. They're formative, they're educational, and they're solidifying the things that we are speaking. And one of the interesting things you see, right, that the Shema here in verse 4 was something that they would repeat in their morning services and their evening services with their homes. Which just reminds us, you know, I know our, our, our job cycles are different as homes and different realities. But there should be time where we, first and foremost, we as families are often praying together. Right, this is just a good pattern of life. Right, this is just a good pattern of life. But I love how he says in 6, these words that you're going to talk about, that you're going to impress on your children's hearts. 
You're to talk about them all the time, in your house, out of your house, up, down, every time you can be talking about Jesus, you're talking about Jesus with because statements and so that statements, right? And again, don't have to use those words. They're just ways to help you think about how you're discussing things. Nature walks are great things to get energy out of your children, but they're also a great way to rejoice and meditate on God's creation. Psalm 19, every time you see the beautiful sunrise, discuss the beauty of the sunrise. The language of your home matters. So we're going to focus first on the language of our home. I'm kind of building out of this, and I'm going to tease you a couple of things. So what I'm doing is I'm giving you some that have, we have practice in our home. This does not mean this is the way you should do these things. What I'm encouraging you to do, first and foremost, is think of the vision for your children, right? We can have a general vision, right? They want to know the Lord, love the Lord, and obey the Lord by loving others. That's the general. Now, we've got specific words that we as a home are trying to instill in our children. Gratitude is one of them for us. Gratitude is one. You know, see this even in the way these things are phrased here. So this is something we have posted in our living room. We'll pull it down and occasionally discuss one as a family. But if you notice how each of these are phrased, they're different expectations, expectation for, um, of God, how we trust and know him. We understand salvation is, to be under, uh, is an undeserved gift. Next one. We understand authority is a gift. We understand relationships are a gift. We understand that, not, uh, that we are not our own but have a good and kind creator and life is a gift. We understand everything is a gift from God for us to call to care. When you, if our children are constantly hearing, gift of God, 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 what is being instilled in their hearts and minds? Hopefully, a heart of gratitude. Right? The last thing you see, we have one garage door that they go out of, and on that door, we want them to think as they walk out, literally posted on the door, not really on the door, it's above the door. Um, so I guess we're not following the command exactly. It's not on the door post, but it's above the door, and it says, be grateful. This is, a, this is a hallmark of what we want our children. And primarily because in America, me and Shelly, and through prayer and discussion, we believe entitlement is one of the biggest downfalls of the American culture. And so we wanted to instill in our children the language of gratitude. And so we have it posted in a variety of ways. We have it posted on our walls through these um, lines and expectations. And real quick, what do you notice on all these? What's the, the like, really stands out to you? The letter on the front. Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm not that spiritual because that had to be explained what I was doing without being thoughtful. So first, it was just all of that. There was no J-E-S-U-S on the front of it. What could have potentially happened if I didn't put J-E-S-U-S on the front of all those? Think for a second. What was the potential liturgy that we were Yeah, you're really thankful, but Jesus has nothing to do with it. You're really kind, but Jesus has nothing to do with it. You can save yourself. This is how you work your way to earning your salvation. And by God's grace, we had a loving family come in, and he goes, man, I love this idea, but what about Jesus? And I was like, oh, snap. I didn't forget him, but I didn't realize that this liturgy was creating potentially something of ultimate concern, which was my works. And so we quickly wrote Jesus, because these matter, the expectations, but then we quickly put that on the front. To make sure and remind them, even though when we do this, we talk about these things, this is before their eyes. This is before their minds and their hearts. So one would be gratitude, right? We could look at a variety of different texts to see this would be uh, things like uh, First Thessalonians, right? Rejoice always, be grateful. 
Pray without ceasing. So we see this attitude of gratefulness. And this is one that my wife and I have said we want our daughters and our sons to be grateful. Because all of the good things we receive are gifts from the Lord. And so that's just one. Another big one in our home is we want to cultivate the heart of service. And again, this is just for Shelly and I, right? And, and this is one because, again, we think in American culture, it's all about I've made it, the more people I have serving me. And so, so it's an intentional push against some of the cultural things that we see that we want them to understand. And so that's we chose some of these, right? Another one is diligence. We want our children to be diligent. And so we have a phrase in our house, like we push, uh, we do, oh, goodness, I, I, phrase and I can't even come up with it in my mind. Push through your boundaries, and then the girls would immediately respond gracefully. Push through your boundaries. and Because we don't want our kids to just hit limits and be like, oh, well, I'm done. No, we want us to keep pushing and striving. And, you know, you go up to any, besides Zion, because he can't speak yet, but you could say, and I, I, I challenge you, test my three older daughters are back there. Say, push through your boundaries, and you're going to hear the response gracefully. So that's a, a common vocabulary we've incorporated into our home that have lots of underlying biblical principles below it, right? And, and then you're going to say, what does gracefully mean? Without complaining, like we heard Bruce say, right? With the prayer and grace and the strength of the Lord provides. Rejoicing in my weakness, but his strength, right? So there's a lot underneath there, but we've, we've worked to create a common vocabulary in our home of things that we value and we see in the scriptures that we want to hold before them frequently, Another one for us would be hospitality. We love hospitality in our home. We, we love to have people in it all the time. We literally build bigger tables, not just because we have a big family, but because we want to host people. We have extra couches, not just because we have lots of a large home of 10, but because we want people there and there all, all the time. We have a hospitality room. We have a variety of things. So these are things that we particularly as a family have cultivated, right? And again, almost all of them were an intentional push against the American mindset, right, of entitlement and of I'm, I've made it when more people are serving me, of when I get home at five, I'm going to lock my door and go to my safe space. You know, we want people in our home, right? We want this to be a place of mission and ministry. And so these are things we've done. And I would encourage you and I would challenge you to think how these people, to talk about the things of God constantly when you're in your home, when you're out of your home, when you're rising and when you're walking. Think through as a couple, what are those five, six, seven? Now, you don't want to have 42, right? That's just a lot, right? You can, you can run all kinds of veins from gratitude and hospitality and service and diligence and loving. You can run a whole bunch of different ways from there. But we're just five core things that we have intentionally prayed through and considered from the scriptures. Ultimately, with Christ at the center of all that. He is the regular cycle. But what about this? Do you have a bedtime routine? Do they really matter? Oh, yes. Not just so that they'll actually go to bed, but because you're creating rhythms, a liturgy that your child recognizes when they go to bed. Right? One of my favorite things to do is to recite Psalm um, 121, verses 3 and 4. If you want to flip there, it's not going to be on the screen. When are you at your most vulnerable? When you're sleeping. Do you ever think about that? I mean, like, I don't mean to scare you. Like, some of you aren't going to be able to go to bed tonight. But, you know, the goal is, but, 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 my, but we recognized early in our first couple of children that there was, it was very difficult for them to go to bed because that's when there was the boogie monster under the bed. I mean, we've all had that, right? That mindset and that idea, right? Or you're so afraid, like, to pull the sheets off of you, like the sheets are some protective shield that nothing can penetrate, you know? 
And maybe Scrooge is still there as an adult. I don't know, you know. And so in praying and considering these things, we, we, we would always pray with our children. And, can, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. But, but we began to think, okay, Lord, how have you described yourself and your character in such a way that we can create a rhythm in our home so that our daughters know, even at our most vulnerable moments, you are still watching over us. And so we we've, uh, go through this particular text right here. Um, look at me at verse 4, or 3 and 4 of uh, 121. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither sleep, slumber nor sleep. Now, big idea is God does not what? Need sleep. Right? That's the big characteristic of God. So then what we've done is in that rhythm of going to bed, we, we remind our daughters of this, that here, we're at our most vulnerable moment, but there's a God that's even better than your dad. Because you know what? I've got to go sleep. I've got to go to bed because I need rest. But there is one who's even more amazing than your dad. And I'm not boasting to myself there. I'm just saying he's just that amazing of a father. And he watches over where you sleep. And then we'll just pray when we sleep. And so for our home, we focus on three things when we... And again, I'm not saying these are the ways to do it, but I want to encourage you as a home what rituals and routines and rhythms are, more, are just as habit-forming as the daily Bible study in your home or the conversations when you're walking by the way. So for our home, we focus on three things. So like I said, it's going to be a lot of examples we're doing. And I want you to take those principles and apply them to your home as you, you discuss these things. We thank the Lord. Why? Because gratitude is big for us. We always say, hey, what's something we can thank the Lord for? And it's really fun to listen to the girls' different explanations. Melody's always like, the pool. The pool, Daddy. Oh, she loves the water. She's like a fish. If she doesn't get to go in the pool today, she's not grateful. She is ungrateful. And we talk about that. Um, but she loves the pool. And you get to my eight-year-old, Melody's four, by the way. You get to our eight-year-old who sleeps in the same room as Melody, and, and she'll say things like, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for bugs. Dad, I saw the coolest bug today. Because she's all about, like, she wants to get in there, and she'll stare at a bug, and she keeps them in. I mean, if we let her, she would have a zoo in her room of the animals she sees in the yard. And, but then you get to the older ones, and they begin to just come up with more beautiful, like, I'm thankful that, you know, I had a difficult situation, but I was able to push through my boundary gratefully. And they thank the Lord for these things. And then another thing we frequently do, because one of the habits we want to develop in our children is that they are quick to confess. Or they're quick to confess. And there's no better time at the end of your day. And this is good for us as adults. Lord, where have I sinned against you? Search me and know me, O God. And so those things would be brought to the forefront. And then we confess them to the Lord. And then we ask for the next day. Because God is a giving God. And again, this is just what we do as a home, right? You could probably have your own beautiful way of doing things. Maybe you go through your church directory, or you pray for missionaries, or you pray for, you know, someone in this capacity. There's a variety of that's just. But do you realize there should be rhythms in your home that are forming what is of ultimate concern? Rhythms and rituals in your home that are forming that which you believe is of ultimate concerns. Does that make sense? These are just some of the ways we do that. Storms. What do you do during storms that scare your children? Oh, it's going to be okay. You know the Bible's full of wonderful things that remind us the wind comes from the storehouse of God, the lightning. And so, I mean, in what you're doing, it, and again, sometimes it's a literal storm or a sort of vulnerability in the bed, but those things carry over to when they get older. The God who controls the wind and the storms and the rain is also the God that reigns in China. When they're 
Maybe sent overseas to be a missionary. The language and common vocabulary of your home matters greatly. Here's the big thing I want you to understand that. It must correspond to the language of Scripture. You do not have to reinvent the wheel. Does that make sense? You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Like, your kids should know what grace is just because you're giving grace, things that are undeserved. You're giving mercy. Give you an example of that. Uh, one of my daughters um, just didn't uphold one of the expectations of our home, and there was a consequence. She knew there was a consequence. And by the way, I can't remember if Bruce said this. I don't think he did. One thing that has been helpful for us, and I forget who I heard this from. It was not original to me. Um, we need to change the way we say, you know, a consequence. They actually chose the consequence if they knew it ahead of time. They chose it. And again, why it comes back to what we said in the third session, right? The, the, the warnings that are attached to things. So if the warning's already there, then they actually chose it. And you need to say that to them. You chose this because you knew the result of choosing this action or not carrying out this particular thing. And so and there was a consequence of, because again, summertime, so pool's a big thing in our home. Uh, we go swimming a lot. And so she lost the pool for that afternoon. Um, and she's sitting there, mopey, you know, sitting out there. And I don't let them in that situation. I don't, this is just me, again, my parenting principle. I don't let them go do something else. They have to sit there for a moment and watch. Because they chose that. And, and here's what, one of the cool things. And I looked at him and I said, sweetie, you got your bathing suit on. She's like, but, but I chose to disobey. She goes, and I said, but I love you. And I'm going to give you something you don't deserve right now. And then immediately I run to Jesus. You know, and that's just like if she gets in the pool, I'm like, come over here for a little bit with me. And we talk about what grace is and what mercy is. And so I'm building within her mind and her heart this vocabulary of grace and mercy through everyday situations, a liturgy and a rhythm that we're frequently and constantly using. There's tons of ways you could do this. Think of the variety of the characteristics of God and the attributes of God and find ways to weave them into your own. Think about the way you train your children to seek forgiveness and then offer forgiveness. Think of all the ways the language that you have as a regular common vocabulary in your house are either pointing to the goodness of God and the work of Jesus Christ or how they are not. Other rhythms. So that would be language. Other rhythms. How many of you have practiced a Sabbath? Now, I'm not a Sabbatarian, right? I'm, I'm not an, of, of that. You may be, and that's a wonderful perspective you can have within orthodoxy, right? But we practice a Sabbath at the home. We love Saturdays at our house. Love Saturdays, right? Because Saturdays is, is what, because that's the day daddy can really truly rest, right? And by Sabbath, so we've taught, and we, like, we literally, we have a big, huge breakfast. Because we want to say, Lord, you're good, and food that you provide is amazing. And we'll sit there, and we'll talk, and we pray, and we say, Lord, we thank you. But right now, we're not working, and the world's still going around, and everything's in half, because that's the kind of God you are. And we just rest in that. And we love to do two things during Sabbath for our home, is we love to play hard and party hard. Now, by party, I don't mean we throw bangers at the house, right? Well, occasionally we do, but... Um, not all the time, right? But the reality is, is I want our daughters to realize that, that God is a type of God that if we stop existing, the world's not going to stop. And we rest in that. And we rest in the fullness of Christ. 
What about the rhythm of silence? With young kids, the rhythm of silence is a hard thing to have in your home, but it's pivotal. The rhythm of silence. Do you have moments in your home and not like, Daddy just got home, he's got a headache, shut up. Not that kind of rhythm of silence. Right? But a rhythm of silence. Like, do we realize one of the disciplines of the faith is to just be still and quiet in the presence of the Lord? Are you establishing rhythms and routines in your home, like we see in Deuteronomy 6 and other locations of Scripture? What about singing? Do your kids only sing on Sunday? Like, just regular singing. You find rhythms, and, and, and here's the hard part. Uh, luckily, by God's grace, we've got some musical people in our home that's not me. I love to sing. I just, others don't like to hear me sing often. But the reality is, is we love to sing, and we love music. We want it to be woven into the very fabric of our family. How are you incorporating the disciplines of the faith? Scripture reading, prayer, silence, meditation, Prayer is one of the most pivotal things you could be constantly doing with your children. Do they know when someone gives them you a request of their ache that you should stop and pray? Have you created that rhythm? Hey, let's pray about it. Here's a hard rhythm. Do you talk about sin often with your kids? And here's what I mean. The way we do it in our home. We, we love dinner time conversations, right? We, we use a variety of things to do so. And one of the questions that I typically will lead out with is, hey, what's one way you sin today? Why would I want my kids to admit a way they've sinned today? What would be a rhythm or habit-forming ritual that I'm trying to prepare them for? Hmm? Yeah, confession's a big one. Reconciliation. Repentance. We got this one from First John, right? If you read First John, it says he was in the light, does not walk in darkness. Um, but then it's really funny because then John goes on right after that and says, but he who says he does not sin is a liar. You're like, wait, I thought you just said, dude, that if I'm in the light, I don't walk in darkness. And then you say I'm a lion if I say I'm not a sinner. And then you get to the beautiful passage, but there's a faithful and just God who will forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Your kids need to have a rhythm in your home, not just where if I sin. And part of it, too, is so often, and here's a caveat, I'm a, we talk about in our home sins maybe more openly than you would be comfortable with doing. So I'm not saying you have to do, like there are things that, especially with our older ones, there's very little that we will hide from our older ones as far as what's going on in our life, Shelly and I. Because we want them to understand that, you know, sins are not just lying. There are sometimes just motivation sins. There's sometimes greed. There's sometimes envy, jealousy, lust, the variety of things that go on in our lives. And so we talk about it frequently. But do your kids have a rhythm and a ritual that they know sin needs to be openly admitted, not just to God, but in the community of people that love me? Is Scripture on your walls? I know that sounds so silly, but you need to have Scripture all over your house. Why? That's why we means by the frontlets of your eyes, right? Like it's constantly before your eyesight. Different scriptures. And there's some really cool, I mean, goodness, you can go to Hobby Lobby and find all kinds of scriptures. Unfortunately, it's the same five verses that you see. And it sounds silly. So what did Shelly do? Some of our favorite verses, she painted herself. 
Now, I love Shelly, and she's a wonderful, crafty person, but it's not as, as, as high quality as, as these other ones. But, man, the scriptures we love that are an essential part of our family, they're there. They're represented in our home. Do we understand that the rhythms and rituals, the language, the common vocabulary, the very liturgy of our home is declaring just as much to our children as the times we sit together on the couch and open God's word? So quickly, try to do these last couple ones. Is with your neighbor. We did 66, 65. We're going to do 64 seconds this time. 64 seconds. What's something, a rhythm or a routine or a ritual that you practice or one that you want to begin to practice? Okay? I'll maybe give you a little longer because that's a little bit more in-depth of a conversation. A rhythm, a ritual, a routine, or a common vocabulary that you want to begin to incorporate into your home. All right? Go. All right, 10 seconds. All right, anybody hear some cool ones from your neighbor? Maybe that they are already doing or ones that you would like to do? We got cool rhythms, rituals, routines in your home that are habit-forming of those things which are of ultimate concern. Anybody have any cool ones? Praying without ceasing, yeah. What's a rhythm that's helping to form that pray without ceasing? Great. And see, all you got to do is, in here, so real quick, two, like, first, Shelly and I, this is how we've worked through this. One, we search the scriptures to know what we think God values most. And we, we as a personal family, said, and how within the context and culture we live in, what's going to be most vital for them. And so we came up with gratitude, service, loving, hard work, diligence, and hospitable. Right, those are the five for us. And so we intentionally chose five things that we're aiming to instill in our children's heart, right? By the grace of God with Jesus being supreme, right? That's not saying they supplant Jesus, right? But it's saying those are the five 
attributes or characteristics we want them to display. So we chose those five, and we've done every rhythm and ritual of our home to get, get aim towards those. Right? Does that make sense? So maybe as a family, if you don't have like a vision of where you're aiming, I just want them to love Jesus. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with wanting them to love Jesus. Right? But loving Jesus means you'll become a type of person. Right? And that's going to be different for each of us because maybe the way you and your husband are made up are going to be different. Um, so find those things that you're aiming for and then look at your home. Look at the rhythms and routines of your house and the things you do during the week when you're walking, when you're lying down and find ways to incorporate visual things that remind them of what those things are, right? As well as um, every day having a common vocabulary as a home, a common vocabulary as a home. It just popped in my brain. I think this is a big one too. And I've heard y'all mention this. Um, find ways to, and I think Bruce said it when, when y'all have some Q&A, is one of the big things too, and I think within American culture especially, but really all because we're all selfish, we have to train our children with wisdom routines where they celebrate when something else gets something that I don't. Like that's a big one, I think. We've got to find ways to do that. Celebration of someone else. Maybe you both took, did the same thing. They succeeded. You didn't. This person's devastated, right? And this person wants to rejoice, but they also care about this person, so they want to celebrate two months. And so you're, you're shaping two hearts of the same thing. I'm telling this kid, rejoice with those. And I'm telling this one, be considerate that you're not boastful. <laughs> it's like same scenario, but I'm teaching two different kids two different things because they're two different individuals. But we think celebration is a big thing. Like, I don't want to get too much into this. Um, I'd love to talk to you about this afterwards if you want to. God loves to celebrate, and so should we. Leave it at that. So find ways to do that. Okay? I'll leave it at that. If you want more explanation, I'd love to walk you through kind of what that means for our home and take you to the scriptures and show you where we get that. But God loves to celebrate, and so should we. Okay. In closing, right, we've had a lot. You've had one, two, three, four, five, six things that you've been at. And maybe you were a divided house for a little bit and you went to both breakouts. And so you've got six things now to think through and discuss. But is there any questions? Did we answer everything that you needed to know? No. We just scratched the surface of what it means, right? We're trying to, to just stir up in you a desire to do what you do and do it well. And I love it because I, I know a lot. I don't know every single one of these families in this room. But I know a lot of y'all. And it is a joy to watch you parent your children. Like, it is a joy to watch how you're loving and raising your children to know the Lord and to love those whom the Lord puts in your life. And so, one, thank you, because we learn um, from y'all, and and so we just rejoice that, like, I'm excited. Like, I'm not a post-millennial, but it's really fun to watch God raise up a next generation of godly people. And if you're like, what does that mean? Um, talk to Stephen or Shane or, or me later about what that means. But <laughs> um, anyways... Um, Questions. And maybe you get home and you're, you start talking and you start taking notes and you're like, oh man, I wish I would have asked that. Um, you know someone in this room that knows how to get a hold of me or Bruce or Stephen or Pastor David or one of these other wonderful families who have raised kids who are over, than tw- over 20, even though that was only like three of us. I'm not there yet, but I'm close. But Any questions, thoughts? Should something be different when you leave? Yes, something could be better. You may be doing some things really well, and praise God, that's to fan that, right? To encourage you to keep doing that. 
right? But there's things in our lives that begin to need to be changed as we are exposed to the truth of God's word in our daily lives. I know you're tired. Um, I'm ready to go get in the pool. And so um, let me pray for us. And again, if you have any questions or conversations, stay as long as you want. Um, I might just lock you in and you can just push the door on your way out and you can leave. But um, please stay as long as you want. It's funny. I say that in church, but then I always hit the lights on people. And it's like their signal that, hey, it's time to go. We've been here for an hour and a half, which I love. I love the fact that, you know, the body of Christ fellowships together. But nonetheless, let me pray for us. (laughs) I know. That's what I hear all the time. Okay, well, go, Josh. Father, we love you. Father, the beauty of being loved by the almighty God of the universe, our creator and our maker, the very one we have sinned against, you have set your love on us in such a way that you sent your son so that we could be restored. And you've given us the Holy Spirit so that we could be gradually, progressively transformed more into the image of your Son. So we just say thank you. Thank you that we are not on this journey of parenting alone. We rejoice with all the children that are represented by these families, Lord. And we, we ask, we ask, saying, Father, we are insufficient, but you are not. Father, we lack wisdom, but your word and your spirit will create more and more of that in us. So help us as we leave this place to, one, love our children as you have loved us. But, Father, to think about, Father, the instructions that we're giving them, the common vocabulary we're losing, the liturgy, the technology, the emotions, Father, authority, all these things. Teach us how, Father, to love as you have loved us in such a way, Father, you and your infinite wisdom and grace would save all of the children represented in this room. Father, we ask that you would do so for your glory and for the joy of us, your people. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.